Hello, everyone. There is no junior church, so kids, make sure you have your bulletin uh, to fill that out. Uh, Before we get started, um, I just found out news. Apparently, I'm a little behind on some of it, but uh, there's a war broke out again in Palestine area, Israel. And so uh, we do need to be praying that for the safety of people, um, but also God's will could be made known through all of this. We know this world has been promised to be not good, like Mike was saying. Um, That's Satan's design, but God's will is more powerful. And so why don't we pray for that event, that encounter that's going on, and for God's will to be made known through it. So God, we come before you, and Lord, uh, with the war that was just struck yesterday and and the, the amount of lives that are already being lost, God, we don't like war. We don't like the ideas of hate and hostility, but we know this world is full of it. And so help us, God, to, in the midst of this and conversations that are going to happen because of it, that we could shine a light of your message, the truth, the message of your love and the grace that comes from your son, Jesus. Help us to be bold about it. And Lord, we do ask for safety for especially the women and the children who are there and the pain and the loss that's going to be there. God, we know you have a plan. Help us to be patient and to be encouraging through this whole thing until we see your message and your will be done. And in Jesus we pray, amen. So there's a, a guy who got on a bus stop and he sat down next to a priest. But the, the man who came in from those bus stops smelled like a brewery. His shirt was real stained. He had holes all over He even had beer bottles sticking out of his pockets, and some of them were only half empty. He sat down next to this priest, started sitting there and reading a newspaper, and the priest was feeling very uncomfortable, not just by the smell, but just the association of it, the the appearance. After a few moments of rustling his paper, this disheveled guy turned in, in, in a drunken voice and said, "'Say, Father, what causes arthritis?' And uh, the priest was a little annoyed, and he says, you know what, mister, it's caused by loose living, cheap women, too much alcohol, and being hateful towards your fellow man. Kind of startled the the drunkard and go, oh, okay, wow. And he started reading his paper, and a few bus stops later, the priest started feeling bad. He's like, man, I was being rude. And he goes, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be so rude. How long have you had arthritis? And the drunk says, well, I don't. I just read that the Pope does. (laughs) Waited for some of you to catch on. Okay. What happened is that priest put this guy in a box. He looked at him and he made assumptions about him that sometimes are wrong. What is worse about it is we often make assumptions and put people in a box, but not just people. We also put God in a box, and it's usually completely wrong. We conservative evangelists are very prone to do this. We squeeze the creator God with all that he is into a box. And we, if I can do this. Well, stay. Okay, we put Jesus 
in a box. We want to fit everything we know about him and put him in this box. We, we do it with our sets of creeds or theological explanations in which we can comprehend or hit, handle with just our feeble little minds what we think we know and that's all we want. And when we do that, we end up putting limits on what we allow God to do in us and seriously, we limit what God is allowed to do to other people around us. This morning, I want to look at a passage in the Gospel of Luke where a group of people who know Jesus pretty well try to stuff him in a box. The problem was Jesus' purpose and his whole ministry was way too big for them to be contained in this box. And so unfortunately for them, he bursts out of the box and rips to shreds anything they thought of the Messiah. The people who created this box didn't like that. And we're going to see what happens. So starting in Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Right there we can see he's been there for a while. He taught regularly. That means he's been there often. And he was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogues on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see and the oppressed will be free and the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes on the synagogue were upon him, looking at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. This scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Here we have Jesus going home to a homecoming, a place where he grew up. There's got to be memories of that town. There's got to be things. I I know when... um, when we were young, we, we lived in Prosser's Trailer Court. It had nothing to do with these Prossers, but they're a little bit related. And, and we had all these memories of riding bikes. We took hills and we, we made little ramps and jumps around them. And my baby brother could walk you around and show you where every dead bird was on that property. We were afraid because of that. But we had all these memories where we'd hit rocks and, and acorn fights and tease people. Don't you have those memories of your home where you lived life? Jesus, no doubt, had some wonderful memories in this town. Just outside the gate could have been his favorite climbing tree. Maybe he was able to wander the streets and lanes without even thinking about where he was going because it it was so familiar and comfortable for him. He could call people by their name and they knew him. It was a good place to be. And as his custom, it says, as every Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue for worship. Now, synagogues were sort of like churches, uh, but they're they're quite different. 
They're constructed differently. They were usually constructed on the highest piece of the ground and were built so the people uh, would be facing Jerusalem when they knelt down. The synagogue was fashioned after the temple, and so at one in the building closest to Jerusalem would be the place commonly where they kept all the scrolls, and they'd call that the holy place. As It wasn't the real holiest holies, but it was to model that. It mirrored that. In front of that would have been an eight-branch lampstand like in the temple, and there was usually a single lampstand there that they would keep constantly burning. Near the middle of the building would be a raised podium where there'd be a pulpit-type thing, and that's where they'd read the scriptures. And then the teacher would sit down and teach them. Men would be grouped on one side, women would be on the other, and and in many of these synagogues, there was a five to six foot wall in between them just to keep them separated. That way you weren't tempted or, or distracted. We're used to having a minister or a few ministers on staff. Synagogues didn't have that. Synagogues would invite people to come in who were teachers from other areas to do the readings and teach. And Jesus had begun making a bit of a name for his teachings. And as he wandered through Galilee and came to his hometown on this Sabbath, he showed up and they asked him to read the scriptures. He opens up to Isaiah 61. We don't know, did he ask for the the scroll of Isaiah or did they just give it to him? We, We really don't know. But he turns to what we'd call chapter 61. It's not a direct quote what he reads. It's kind of joining two different passages. And he perfect, uh, purposely left out a couple phrases. Both passages in Isaiah were recognized as messianic passages, and, and Jesus picks up on him. He says, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners, recovery of the sight to blind. All that's from 61 verses 1 and following. To release the oppressed, that's from verse 6. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that's in verse 2. So he's mixing them around. And then once he's done reading that part of the passage, he rolls it up, gives it back to attendants. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So far this year, we've gone through and we've been looking at Jesus. We've seen his baptism and there could be no doubt that the Spirit of God came down and hovered and was on him. It was indwelling him. But why is the Spirit upon him now? He says, because the Spirit has anointed me. He has a purpose. We all have the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And just as Jesus was anointed for ministry, we all are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so when we see what Jesus is doing, we need to look at what his purpose is and see what purposes we can find from it. So what was his anointing for? First, Jesus was anointed to preach the good news for the poor. Don't worry, I'll be up there for a little bit. Preach the good news to the poor. Jesus brought the good news of forgiveness that would be offered to all mankind. God wanted a new relationship with his people, one where sin could be removed because it stood in the way. Jesus had to get rid of sin problem. And so because of that, God had set a plan into motion that Jesus would be that sacrifice. Jesus said, I came to preach to the poor. 
When we hear the word poor, we usually think of what? Money. We think of money. But Jesus didn't just preach to economically poor the world. He preached to those who were poor in spirit. He came to pre preach to those who were poor in salvation, those who didn't have that. They were hopeless with, because of sin. They had no power to save themselves. And so after looking at this, I think there's a question we need to ask ourselves. Who are the spiritually poor in the St. Joe area? Who are the spiritually poor around us? Are they just those who are, we are unwilling to be seen in public with? Are they those we just don't want to associate with? And yet, what did Jesus just say? I came to preach to them, to be among them, to give them that message. So how, look at that and say, where could I fit into that? Jesus also said he was anointed to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Freeing the oppressed was a role that all Jews expected the Messiah to take on when he appeared. And while on earth, however, Jesus released prisoners, not from political prisons, but from Satan's prison. Satan controls everything around us, as, as we just had a prayer in the beginning of this sermon for. Satan controls and he runs all this. And he runs this because we choose to sin. We submit to him when we sin. And the Bible says that because of our sins, we are slaves to sin. John 8, 34 says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. We need to be set free from the slavery of the sin we chose, and Christ proclaims that freedom. So here's another question then. Who are the prisoners in St. Joe area that still need to be set free? Who are the prisoners around you that need to hear the message of freedom in Christ? What are we doing that can, reach, that can reach them for Jesus? Another area in scriptures that Jesus read proclaimed he's anointed to recover the sight for the blind. Well, obviously, we're thinking of eyesight. But Jesus isn't concerned with just our physical eyesight. Everyone under Satan's control is blind. We're blind to the true realities of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Jesus came to heal that blindness, to take away that blindness and give us real sight. There are plenty who still have the shutters down in their eyes who are constantly covering them because they can't see the real truth. Many times when our family is praying for people, we ask that God shows his real light because people are blinded by the darkness. The fourth thing Jesus is anointed to do is to release the oppressed. 
This literally is release those who are bruised. That's what this word means. Who have suffered any kind of injustice or oppression. Our society lives on a thing that we want to be fair, but it's not. Our society exploits and oppresses all kinds of people. Jesus came to release people from this oppression, from the bruises. And then five, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to let us know that although we've rebelled, that we've been blind, that we've been bruised, he has come to proclaim, now you can enjoy the Lord's favor. That God still wants to give salvation to mankind. It just so happened when Jesus was preaching, when he came to do this, this was called the year of the Jubilee. This was a special year in the life of the Israel nation, which occurred every 50 years, when all debts were canceled. So I want you to think with me right now. I want you to think of all your debts, your mortgage, your car loans, credit cards, maybe school bills. What if right now I came up and said, if you check your account, you're at zero. No bills due. Your debt is canceled. What would your reaction be? Some of you, there we go. She's up here dancing. Some of you are like, that'd be nice. What? That, that's nuts. I know you'd be different. First, you would be jaw dropped. Like, is this really true? What? And then you'd be going to your spouse, look, we're going out to eat. You would celebrate. You would have jubilee. Not this like, oh, that'd be nice. Come on, church people. She had it right. But this is a time when all things were jubilistic. They were happy. Anyone who had become a slave because it wasn't our current thinking of slavery, they would submit themselves to working off a debt. Those were gone. And Jesus is saying, hey, I am giving you even bigger jubilee. I am ushering not just a normal year of jubilee, but a special one where you're going to be set free from the debt of your sin. Forget your mortgage. Think about your eternity. That's what I've come to do. This, this section here probably could be no better description of what Jesus came to do. Look in verse 18 and 19. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is doing this because God's called him. For he, God has anointed me to bring the good news, the gospel, to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. The blind will see, the oppressed will be free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And people were amazed when he preached this. But this amazement is short-lived. In quoting these verses, Jesus left out this little clause, this one verse that everybody was waiting for. So the where it says the time of the Lord's favor was upon them, look what else it says in Isaiah 61 too. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance for our God. And to comfort all who mourn. They wanted vengeance. The year of our Lord, the favor is coming and so is vengeance from God. But Jesus didn't say that part. 
See, the Jews expected the Messiah to come riding in, to charge in, and to do vengeance against all of Israel's enemies. It's kind of weird that we're saying this on this day. Palestine, Muslims are not Israel's enemies. Satan is. Sin is. Just as much as it's ours. And Jesus came not to come and cause vengeance on people groups, but to release them from their true enemy. They expected the Messiah to lead in a glorious defeat over the Romans and all those, to judge the enemies once and for all, and that they could be esteemed. The Jews wanted to see all them Gentiles put in their place. And I think it's very significant that Jesus left out that phrase, Because he didn't come for a judgment, physical judgment on all the people. His plan was to bring salvation before the judgment. The judgment will come when Jesus comes back. But when he came at this point, it wasn't for judgment. It was for a year of jubilee, a time of jubilee when your sins, your debt are gone. And then we can dance and we can enjoy and we can be happy and excited. Jesus referring to the preaching, the good news, proclaiming the prisoners, giving sight, and the ultimate jubilee. Judgment's coming later. But this is the box that they had set up for Messiah, that he would be this way. And he didn't fit fit in that. To them, Gentiles were dogs and deserved judgment. They were waiting for the real manly Messiah, the one who would bring in guts and glory and, and show everybody what the Jews are about. Who is this imposter? Before them, they saw a young man they knew well, and they said, who is this? This is Joseph's son. How many of you ever had to live in the shadow of your family? I remember I was in um, one of my history classes in high school, and, and the teacher, it was like the first day, and he was sitting there, and he goes, Goff, are you a relation to a Mark Goff? Yeah, that's my dad. Oh. Automatically, I'm put in a box, like him. And he was put in a box because of his family. We're all put in these boxes because people do this. This is a common thing. Oh, you're one of those. Jesus did the same thing. Isn't this Jonathan's son? He's just a carpenter. How is he here preaching like this? In Mark, same thing. But look what it says. It's the same event, but it's a little different viewpoint. The next Sabbath, he, Jesus, was teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and his sisters live right amongst us. And they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. Oh, man, look how great he is. No, that's Jesus. They keep putting him in this box. They're putting him right there. He's only a carpenter. He, he does, he's a good carpenter. He's got all of his fingers. But he's still just a carpenter. We all know his family. 
And they want to shove Jesus into this box so they can contain him, so they can justify their own beliefs, their own judgments. And Jesus, he could have just stopped and walked away. But he didn't do that. He senses their uh, growing indignation and he challenges them. Look, go back to John here. Or, yeah. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown because they put him in a box. Like um, certainly there are many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the heavens were closed for three and a half years in a severe famine, devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a Gentile, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Jesus takes where they're going, their subconscious attitude, and then he says, you want to see the real proof of the Messiahship? Let me show you that it's not in here, but let me use your scriptures that you already know. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I know a minister, he was raised in a church, and, and they always just look at him and, well, that's who he is, you know, that's him. And then he went off, and now he's back in that church, and guess what they're doing to him? He say, we could really do this. Oh, no, it's just you. They're looking at him because he's from that town. And they don't expect big things because they've got him in a box. And we do this, and unfortunately, we do this to Jesus. But Jesus goes on, and he says, not only am I not a welcome in my hometown, but let me rub a little salt into your wounds by reminding you, Elijah and Elisha, great prophets of God, they gave blessings to Gentiles, not the vengeance that you're wanting. Their miracles were performed not in their um, own hometown. They were performed not even with Israelites, but for others. Jesus is challenging this box that Jews have created for the Messiah. Their box re restricted Jesus' ministry to just them. It reserved the Messiah's victories for the Jews alone. It did not have room for Gentiles in that box. But Jesus' ministry is far bigger than this box. Far bigger than anything we can contain in a box. Jesus' ministry of salvation, it's for not the Jews, it is for all nations. That's a, that's a blank. There you go. His ministry of salvation was for all nations nations and Jews had gotten it wrong God's purpose in choosing them was not to save them in isolation but so that they could be the instruments by which salvation could go to all nations his plans and his purposes to save the Jews and the Gentiles was so much bigger I, so I'm going to do something here with our Jesus box Jackson why don't you come up I want you to do something for me. Can you get in there? Great. Now go ahead. Get all the way in. I'm going to close it on you. Okay? How fun is that? Is that fun, Jackson? No. No. 
Why not? Why isn't it fun? It's quite tight. Yes. And it's dark. Yeah. Can you do much in there? No. Can you dance? No. Can you tr try to move? Try to move. Oh, you're restricted. Yeah. Okay. So it's quite tight and it's not fun to be in that box. But you could fit, couldn't you? You could. Yeah. Okay, come here. I want uh, we're going to try something else now. John. Come here. Thank you, Jackson. I ain't gonna fit. Get in. I ain't gonna fit. I don't get in. You wanna help me, Jackson? You can. You gotta. Oh! The box, not the stand. My. I'm sorry. Get down. Yeah, no, this Get down. Nope. I'm a rip box. Okay, I want you to get in. Now. Get in it. Push it. Come on, do your stuff. I can't. There we go. I fit. Now it can fit. I fit. I sit. <laughs> All right, thank you. So the Jesus box wasn't fun. It was tight, it was cramped, and you can't do much. And then we put a little bit of a bigger guy in it. And now I don't have a box. He broke it. It broke the mold. The Jews, the box that the Jews had in Nazareth for Jesus was not big enough to contain the plans that God had for Jesus. And so what did Jesus do to their box? He destroyed it. He ripped their box apart. And they were uncomfortable with that. Look what happens when they find out that he's ripping their box apart. Verse 28. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. They were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of a hill on, wh on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. They were furious, and they wanted to murder Jesus. What? Can you imagine being in church? And I just say, hey, all of your debts are forgiven. And not just yours, but even those in Garrett. In fact, the Garrett people, we're going to give them the exact same as you. Off to the guillotine, yeah. Now times that by a thousand with the racial prejudice that they had. And Jesus says, I am here for all people not just the Jews, but all people, and I'm going to bring salvation to all of them, and they are mad. How dare you put me down in their spot? And they are so furious that this church gathering of nice church people, you know, they're dressed in their synagogue best. They even got their Saturday sandals on. And they grabbed Jesus. It says mobbed. 
and brought him to the edge of the city. It means it wasn't the backyard. They had to drag him to the edge, intending to throw him off a cliff. How mad do you need to be to throw someone off a cliff? That's how they were that Saturday morning in their church service. But verse 30, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way, which just had to irritate them again. (laughs) Where did he go? I don't know. But we just had him. Where is he? And now they're frustrated. Fortunately for us, the Jews didn't get what they wanted. They were so infuriated, they dared to burst from their box that Jesus would burst from the box and they sought to kill him. They dragged Christ to the cliff and they were going to throw him off, but this isn't God's plan. And so however it happened, Jesus went, went away. He passed right through them. How do you and I feel <clears throat> when Jesus busts out of the box that we have set for him? When we think this is how God works, this is how Jesus works, and then he comes and he rips your box to shred. And that was a nice box. I could have used it for things. Now it's only recyclable. Boys, burn it. Fire. But how do we feel when Jesus breaks out of our box? Do you ever feel indignant or angry or frustrated? That's not how I wanted it, God. Why are you doing it that way? This would make me feel comfortable. And all this is to show us that Jesus is bigger than any limitation that we can come up with. Can we see that? He wants to do more amazing things, bigger things than we ever hoped or dreamed. Do you have a box that you're keeping Jesus in today? When it comes to your faith, this is how Jesus works. He's this nice little Jesus, and this is how he loves, and this is how he's nice. Is that how you keep Jesus? Because if you've got him in a box, let me just tell you, you're not in faith to Jesus. You're trying to control. And Jesus is not controllable. Instead, we need to allow him to work freely without the restraints and those conditions. But not just us individually, how about this question? Does St. Joe Church of Christ have Jesus in a box? I didn't want to ask this question. But do we have restrictions? Well, he can't do those things. He wouldn't allow those people. He wouldn't want us to do these things. What what restrictions do we put on Jesus here? Churches often do put restrictions on what sort of clientele they want to come into the doors. Generally, they want to have those nice, well-groomed, polite, neighborly people. They want to aim at that middle-class people who are naturally easy to relate to for them. God isn't wanting me to minister to those people What about those on the other side of the track? We doubt that he could or would want to reach them. You know, they just need to live with what they've chosen for a while. And we got it in a box. And what I think sometimes we forget is 
God doesn't put us in that box. He's not sitting there going, you're one of those. I just think I'll let you live with what you've chosen for a while. Maybe you're not the right clientele I want in heaven. Who did Jesus come to save? All nations. Many churches put restriction on what they think God can do. We want the Holy Spirit to work, but only if he promises to keep it within our boundaries the way we like it. It's got to sound like this. It's got to look like this. It's got to perform like this. We don't want to be challenged too much or, or we become uncomfortable. You want me to do this? Well, I showed up. I came to church. I, I even sit in my assigned chair. You want me to do more? Well, what about that person? They're not doing as much. I came to this. I gave to this. I've done these things. What about them? The last time somebody did that to Jesus, Jesus looked at them and says, what if they're doing that? I am talking to you. So don't point at other people and try to put them in that box. What is Jesus calling you to do outside of the box we have placed him in? We don't want to be challenged too often sometimes. This world is going to challenge us. It's going to. You don't think you've been challenged yet? Well, get ready. It is coming. There are things that are going on in the school systems, in our culture, in public, that I never would have thought of when I was younger in the 80s. Never would have thought that would be happening. And now it's normal. You don't think your faith is going to be tested? And do you think God is really happy with you sitting? Uh, Tuesday night, the eighth graders played a football game, didn't they, up in Fremont. Who won that game? Eastside, by a long shot. It was a shutout, wasn't it? Or did they get one touchdown? They got one. We allowed them one. Now, how would that game have gone if the football players showed up and then sat on the bench? Oh, we're here. We're wearing our attire. We win. And yet, that's what so many of us do on Sunday morning. I'm here. I've done my time. But God, this is how you work. Think we put Jesus in a box? We put our own faith in a box? You know what I'd love to see happen to our boxes? An even more explosive thing than we saw with John. I would love to see Jesus rip those boxes to shreds so that we can see his true glory, his true power. And so first thing, before I can say that, that, you know what that means I need to do personally? I need to get rid of my boxes. The minister, the paid one to be holy. I struggle with boxes. I struggle with boxes. Because it's so manageable. One of my favorite lines was uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis wrote that, and it's a great allegory into who God's heart and his character is, and, and he's a good lion, but he's not tame. 
I love that. God is good, but he's not tame. He's not controllable. He cannot be put in a box. He is big. He's ferocious. And I got some news for you. The box that you try to put Jesus in is not big enough because God is huge. God is big. He is powerful. We are not. Anything you and I can comprehend, anything we can imagine is a pebble of sand next to his lowest thoughts. And we need to get rid of the boxes, whatever its box whether it's boxes of our faith, whether it's box of the church, but more importantly, the box of Jesus. We need to get rid of it. We need to let Jesus out of the box and the freedom to challenge us, to let him challenge us to do what he's called us to do, his purposes, to reach any and everyone. The Great Commission says, go out into what part of the world? All the world. All nations, not just here, to reach those that he wants to reach, to use us how he wants us to use us. So many people say, well, I want to do what God wants. Just don't make me speak in front of people. Well, I want God to use me. Don't make me go to another country. I want God to use me as long as, and that's the box. Shouldn't it be? Here, my God, use me. That's what St. Joe truly needs to be. I, I think we have people growing in that. I do. But it's not enough yet. Because as we just saw, war is breaking out in the world again. And I'm not just talking about war in Israel. I'm talking about war for our children, war for our families, war for our marriages, war for the churches. War is breaking out every day. And if we keep God in a box, store him nicely for Sunday morning, we're not allowing him to move in and through us. So what do you want to do today? Do you want to get him out of the box? Do you want to rip that box apart so that God can move and explode within you bigger than you can comprehend? Or do you want to leave today and say, you know what, I like my box. I'm going to tell you something. I struggle with boxes, but I'm going to keep pushing to get rid of them. And that's going to become more and more evident in how I teach and preach. And so if you want to keep boxes, you're not going to feel comfortable here. Because God cannot be contained. And a God who cannot be contained, who is moving within a church, cannot be contained. We will keep spreading the news to more and more people. Are you ready for that? Let's stand and let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your son. I thank you for your grace. God, forgive me of my boxes. Forgive me of what I put you in so many times. God, right now, I ask that you remind each one of us. You remind your church right now of your majesty, of your power, of your magnitude. Make us once again awestruck by who you truly are, your power, your purity, your holiness. And Lord, impact us so much that we can't just leave it on a Sunday morning to be picked up the next time we're in these chairs.
but that it impacts our hearts and our minds so strongly that we fulfill what your word tells us to do. God, hear our hearts. Remove the boxes so we can truly see you. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. As we're singing, if you need to make a decision to let him out of the box, to change how you're doing things, or to finally come and just know him, why don't you come see one of us? Come talk with us. Make that decision as we sing.